Welcome, Foul Tarnished. You are listening to Elden Kings, an Elden Ring discussion. Brought to you by Elden Ring Discussion and her affiliate subreddits. This is part two of the St. Trina guest starring episode, where we go over Elden Ring gender and more from all over the Soulsborne universe. Uh, we'll talk about her theories, as well as our insights into the game and our personal like likes and dislikes. So stay tuned, and we'll hop right back into the episode since this was recorded concurrently with the last episode. No need to introduce Trina since everyone knows who she is. So let's get back into it. Did you want to move on to uh, your um, your next topic? Oh yes. So that is actually a great great segue. So you're talking about uh, Radagon being a- an aspect of Merica, right? Or um, being her very literally. So I haven't written about this, but I wanted to just kind of lay it out since you you know what what's going on in my head, basically. Um, I think that that is what the whole game is. Um, it's written like uh, a lot of religious texts uh, from throughout history, where they will take an internal conflict, and usually that internal conflict is supposed to culminate with self-actualization. Uh, well, self-actualization, if you ask, like a western psychologist but um you know in within each religion they're going to call it like whatever they want some type of ascension of self understanding and in these texts they're trying to talk about things within you that are really abstract and not only are they abstract they're kind of hard to access right our subconscious mind is not an easy thing to question and edit. But what is easier to access is our imagination. And our imagination runs on our subconscious. So if you can take an external conflict or an internal conflict and then kind of just like zhuzh it up with metaphor and turn it into an external conflict, then you can actually move through the emotions and move through the scene. And then by moving through it and like being a part of it, you can ask yourself what you think about it afterwards more easily. It's like, have you ever had that effect where it's really easy to extend courtesy to uh other people and be like oh yeah he just made a mistake it's totally okay to not get everything right and to be this way but then when you try to turn it around on yourself it just stops and you just like can't give yourself a break have you ever run into that yeah like you can't internalize the sentiments you can put towards an external source right so it's like you just don't see yourself as like maybe worthy of that type of acceptance and whatnot, but you just you because you're in because you're in your shell, right? You're you're inside of yourself. You can't really like examine what you look like to the outside world because if you were to be you but be someone else, you would see how that person was mistreating themselves so quickly you'd be yeah. like oh you're you're not being fair to yourself at all because of this 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 and this and then somebody could be like yo dude you were just talking to yourself and that's basically what i think um the allegories in elden ring are supposed to help us do they take external conflicts or internal conflicts and they make them external they make them a really difficult boss um, and then they give them uh, a bunch of themes, and then they slap a world order on top of that, and then that world order fucks over those characters, like in all different types of ways. And then us as the viewer, we see how those characters got screwed over when they went down path XYZ, and then we get to kind of be like the one collecting all the ones we like and the ones we don't like, and then building a new world order 
that won't be so shitty to those people at the end. And they don't really give us like a perfect answer, which I'm thankful for. Um, but yeah, I think that's the point. We're supposed to like go through the game and think about war, think about our parents getting divorced, thinking about um, our issues with body dysmorphia, maybe, and things like that. And and just kind of like um, confront them. Like when you're confronting um, Radagon, for example, you could be confronting like the very base feeling of like wanting to be important in 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 your community or in the world, or just uh, or maybe it's more about like being afraid of fate. I guess I haven't thought that one all the way through. I but mean, anyway, it's, it's a complicated thought. I get that. I um like in oh, yeah, many so... ways defeating a boss is an accomplishment and it, it provides a catharsis and that catharsis helps ease you through whatever emotional pains you're going through or like whatever emotional pains you're thinking through that are thematically implied within the game yeah yeah and it's like none of okay so here's here's another thing to add on top of that none of these characters that we're fighting are inherently good or inherently bad they are just little machines that are being affected by the world around them and we have to determine whether their the way they interacted with it was good or not <clears throat> um so in that way they just become options for us and uh our subconscious can like fill in the gaps you mean that um like in choosing the different bosses you kill and the ones you quote unquote spare you uh you define something about your own choices and how you interact with the game's story and like your own sort of like vibe while it's, you play it or it's uh it's so it's slightly different so going going through the game let's and fighting those bosses lets you like sit and ruminate with whatever the story is about right yeah but yes. then at the end you have to decide um like what like the classic debate of like was Melania a good guy or a bad guy? Oh, um, okay. you kind of have to like you have to put like the moral judgment on it eventually. You can't let you can keep splitting the atom, but like you have to say like, do I want? Is this a hero or not? Is it like something worth aspiring to? Is is this a champion that I will follow? And uh, you do that. And and to me, you just do that implicitly. It's not necessarily something that, like, the ones you kill are, are the things you've been thinking about that week. It's just, like, something that happens by osmosis. Because mm -hmm. that's what these stories are about. It's just, like, they... You end up doing it on accident. <laughs> by yeah. deciding who you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, deciding your favorite character, partaking in arguments online right. about who was in the right, who should have won. Like, exactly. the entire Radan versus Melania debate is something that, like, is sort of cultivated in-game through its own presentation. Like, who exactly. is, like, who's the better warrior? Who's more worthy of Godfrey's it's legacy? Pretty un it's like, pretty darn unclear, I would say. Like, especially yeah. with those two. Like, neither of them are really that good or that bad. I sort of like to imagine it as, like, they're both people that are primarily warriors that set aside their own emotions to fight for a cause they believe in. And Radan mm -hmm. was, like, unwaveringly for the Golden Order. Like, not just the Golden Order in the sense of the government that Radigan upheld, but the Golden Order in the sense of the prophesied warrior was supposed to become Elden Lord. Like, you know, everyone knew the prophecy that the Tarnished would return. It's part of why they were, like, put into a caste system at the very bottom. Because everyone was like, well, fuck you guys. But, like... <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, like, Radan, especially as someone that was, like, a great warrior and saw himself as the successor of Godfrey, would have been like, well, maybe I'm a fit to be Elden Lord. So we tried to fight for it. And when he lost, yep. he backed down. He was like, well, I don't have the strength. I admire Godfrey's way. I'm gonna go back to Redmayne Castle. But then here comes Melania, who's like, you know, she's got her own morality. She's the Blade of Mikola. Mikola desires 
Um, we don't know what he desires. That's the fucking part of a mystery that's like confounding everyone right now. But like, at the very least, he doesn't want the Golden Order's wheels to turn yet. So he sends Mikkel- Millennia to like put down the war. That's why she shows up at Gelmir to put down Rikard as a rebel. Yeah, and then she's got like this, uh, this like lore idea of going south, and it's like, uh, she like may may she go south on wings of victory, and it's sort of like in that moment she mirrors Godfrey. Like ironically, Radon's the one that takes the motifs, but Millennia during the Shattering during the oh, war, oh, she literally that, like, does what Godfrey does. She does. <laughs> she marches <laughs> south funny. in the same military patterns that he did, and she's also the one that's given the title of undefeated, just like Godfrey was undefeated. Like oh. <laughs> so like she's the true successor of his name and technically she's sort of the one that wins like she's not fucked up right. after she's in a more powerful state and like i like to imagine the battle as being like millennia is the better duelist like in a one-on-one of a fair fight on ground she would probably win i sort of i've got a headcanon fan fiction where there's a tournament in Lindel. And it's very sad, but so she classic. beats she beats Radon and Rikard, and she's like this surprise appearance. Like you know, everyone's like, "Don't fight, don't fight! You're you're too you're too sick." But she like disguises herself as a knight and like gets in. It, it's a whole thing. That's so classic. <laughs> yeah, that's very um, nice. Very but yeah, like like Radon's the better military general fighter. All of his attacks are meant to like be sweeping attacks that hit multiple people. So like that's you know, in an army standpoint he's gonna do better but like melanie is a duelist so like they're sort of offset at different I, i've put too much thought into this obviously <laughs> <laughs> i had not thought about that but that makes a lot of sense <laughs> the duelist part i mean um but yeah i i <laughs> um do you want to talk more about your trans theories, or do you want to? Would you like to segue into like going through all of the gender bendy characters that we love in Elden Ring? Um, yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think we can. Yeah. Let's let's move on. We can say there's there's definitely more to say here, um, and I want to encourage people to go out and look at the document themselves. Um, this is like the thing I've put the most work into in a long, long time. So um, I don't want, I, I want to leave a couple surprises. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, definitely so, check it out yourself. Like there's so much yeah. here that we haven't covered. Like it's actually, it, it's amazing. I'm very happy to read this. Like, thank you. I love what you put together. <laughs> thank you. It, it, it was, it was a holy mission for me, you know? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, out of, I recognize that, like, a lot of big lore content creators are going to make what's interesting to them and, like, focus yeah. on, like, big parts of the lore. But, like, you know, Radigan and Merica and, like, gender as a vibe and how it's portrayed and how it's um, used in Elden Ring is very much, like, its own sphere of topic. Like, we t- I-, I briefly brought it up at it's the beginning, complex. but, like... But, like, there's this idea of, like, the Tao, of yin and yang, of masculinity and femininity that tug on each other. And within Elden Ring itself, you've got this idea of inner order and outer order, and they tug on each other. Outer order is outside of the control of the greater will, and it acts causally with, like, relationships to itself, and it's uncontrollable. And you've got, like, all of that then matches up to masculinity and femininity, and, like, it, it's important like it's a it's a very strong theme throughout the game and it's mm-hmm. uh if you look at trina's color wheel stuff like the way she groups the different items together where you can see all of these red coded items and all of these blue coded items it's very it's very telling of how much the color design was used in elden ring it's um it's fantastic it's uh, yeah, remarkably consistent. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> uh, so, okay, who's your favorite gender bendy character? I mean, you've mentioned Radigan and uh, Merica a lot, but like, is there um, is there anyone that like you just like aesthetic wise or? Uh... Yeah, let me think. Let me think. Who's my top top?
I think Saint Trina is my top. I want. I almost want to say Rodrika. Uh, sl- I mean, not Rodrika. Uh, Raya slash Darius. Um, but like, um, her just slightly different in that, like, I-, I feel like her story is designed for someone who's just like a tiny bit younger than me. So. Raya and Zarias are super cool because they bring up a lot of the themes that Sekiro was playing with uh, about how your parents' uh, worldview, whether whether it should shape yours and how much it should shape yours. And she, by the end, fully decides she's not letting them shape her worldview. Uh, And that's super cool. Um, But I was just already done with that by the time Elden Ring hit me, you know? I just I think it's just like a slightly uh different story and my experience is more in line with how Mikola walks through the world where like um the world sees Mikola as a man um but an effeminate man and that just kind of like puts him in a weird spot socially in general I would say um uh, yeah, in some but, ways, it's like, like uh, you can finish. Okay, yeah. So, but his adult form, his like Saint Trina form, is so like powerful and sure of herself. Um, she's always like being described in like this powerful way. She's depicted with her third eye open in her torch and stuff like that. So that's kind of what I feel gender feels like for me going forward it feels like more certainty and so that as a a message really resonated with me yeah, that makes a lot of sense you know like yeah. you emotionally passed raya even if you relate to it and then you move yeah. on to uh saint trina and it's something right. that resonates more with you and the it's just about uh, just like a matter of like taking my dream self and like putting it into reality now. Yeah, know? I didn't. I didn't even know I had this dream self inside me like two two years ago. You know, it's crazy. Yes. Um, but like once I got past the point of like, are you in denial? Are you in denial? Are you in denial? I like asked myself that every morning, and I was like, yeah, I'm probably in denial. And then eventually, I just like stopped asking. So, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where if you have to keep asking yourself about it, it's probably because it's like on your mind, not as a question, but as a growing certainty. And that's right. difficult as a thing to come to terms with, but is, you know. <laughs> it's scary. Yeah. But it's very empowering. It's a very empowering moment. Mm-hmm. Once you stop fighting it and say, okay, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. You start growing. You know, you're like, you're not repressing a part of yourself that's unfolding. You're not like, folding inward as a result you're folding outward if we go back to the beginning you're unfurling (laughs) yeah yeah totally and i think that's what merica almost did she was so close and then just like didn't quite make it that's that's what i think we're supposed to take away from a lot of like the main characters is that they almost had it but they're missing something the heroes strove to be complete but you know there's always a catch uh Always a catch. And maybe that's that's a greater truth is that we're not gonna reach perfection. We just but um continuing to strive for it is worthwhile. There's a uh I think it's Hindu or Buddhist. There's this idea that what is inside of you is divine and is always being reborn, but because it is reborn into earthly flesh, into dirt and clay it is inherently imperfect it's a perfect thing held within an imperfect vessel mm-hmm. um, so <laughs> yeah i definitely like that way of understanding self yeah and that is another big thing in the game in general is just like presenting to you lots of different ways of understanding self uh and then being like no no no, no. but what about this one Ooh, but what about this one? Ooh, but you're dead, but you're not dead, but you're a lot, you know. It's just like, yeah, there's a lot of blurry identities. Yeah, there's a strong idea that, like, everything is connected, causality, everything is in relationship to each other, and then, like, 
you know, heresy is but a contrivance. All things can be conjoined. There's many truths, yeah. and all of them have a validity, and all of them have their own place. And some of them, and all of them fit together in a way. Like, everything is not in a vacuum. You know, it's like... You like know, you said, it's really... Uh, go, go on. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really... Um... Shoot, I'm sorry. <laughs> I lost the thread. <laughs> no, you're Go ahead. okay. Um, I think I lost it too. But uh, I guess Saint Trina, when I first read that description where it's like, Saint Trina appears to some as a comely lass or a young boy or an elderly man, I like immediately sent that in one of my chats. And I was like, I just put trans rights under it as the subtitle. Like Elden Ring <laughs> yeah. said trans rights. And um, yeah. Like, that's so much of the vibe, like, St. Trina as, like, this person that embodies so many aspects, but, like, primarily among them is, like, femininity. Like, Nicola as, in some ways, a repeat of Gwendolyn. Like, he's someone that's born, I won't say yeah. imperfectly, Elden Ring describes him as imperfect, because there's this idea where all of America's Radig children with Radigan are imperfect, because, like, they're the child of one god, but, like... Like, you know, like, Gwendolyn couldn't take the throne either after Gwen left. And, like, right. I feel like there's a bit of a connection with their line there. But, like, more of that's oh, all yeah. with Morgat being unable to take the throne. And he's got, like, an actual honest-to-God curse fucking his entire soul up. So, um, I think it's somewhat justified how they wrote it in Elden Ring. And they sort of knew that, which is why Mikola has his own newer story, even though, like, they're both yeah. divergent paths of what Gwendolyn was. That's that's the that's the beauty of all of Elden Ring is that they're all they're all like little response stories. They're like little um follow up essays yeah. <laughs> to their older characters. <laughs> and they're so and they're so good in that in that lens. Like they, they really knocked it out of the park. Like they really they truly updated their stories, let's say. Some people yeah. like just like add on to it and it just kind of ends up being the same themes aka uh last of us 2 <laughs> <laughs> um, but like i think they really showed growth in this game and that's why it uh spoke to me so much but uh speaking of speaking to you i think i did lose one thread that i want to bring back which is who was your favorite gender bendy character in elden ring hmm. um that's a good question uh Honestly, for a while, I might have said Mikola as, like, Saint Trina and just, like, this whole, like, formless identity. Like, I'm not gonna lie, yep. as someone that very much identifies with, like, fuck my earthly flesh, let me transcend into pure energy Star Trek style and, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like, non-binary ideals. I'm very much the idea that, like, Mikola becomes the formless mother and transcends into godhood to match the greater will, and, like, that's a whole vibe to me. Like, I, it might oh, not even be a correct yeah. lore theory, but, like, I like, I liked that. Um, within, like, I think the story like, is designed so that you can make that character and play around with them and get something out of them. And, like, that is just as valid as it gets, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think uh, it's definitely like the player truth, the dynamic ideas that they examine, that's their story. And like Elden yeah. Ring tells you enough about your adventures and your fights and the demigods you face to really get an idea of what you did, which not all of the games have done before. Like sometimes it just devolves into you being like, okay, next boss, who am I killing? Wow, that looks really yep. fucking weird. But like Elden Ring, you know who you're killing, you know who these people are, it tells you. You know, they're all very specific and they're all very important. Um, I think for me, it's like uh, it's Dolores actually. I just I like tomboys. Yes, I, I am that. very much character. Like most people that meet me think of me as a tomboy, and um, like yeah, like I I relate to that idea. And also, I had a um, I had a D and D character named something something to like. Nayalana or like Rayalana or like something like that was the silent arrow. So like there's what is it's like a similar oh, it concept. So perfectly, there. let's go. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh I also I mean like trans Renala is something I didn't think of until like more recently. But like there's just something so funny to me to where it's like, um, 
Radigan, yeah, Radigan's the alter aspect of Merica, and yeah, he went to marry uh, Renala, but Renala is actually a trans man, and Radigan, as an alter ego of Merica, retained her sexual characteristics. So Radigan's just doing an Mpreg thing. <laughs> <laughs> And that's like sort of cursed, but like sort of hilarious. And like, <laughs> uh, okay, you'll have to you'll have to lay out some of that Renala stuff for me at some point. I mean, it, there's like nothing really there. It's just yeah. that what if Renala was like a a trans feminine uh, assigned male assigned male at birth, uh, yeah. sorcerer that just like saw the moon and the moon made her super beautiful and like that oh, was her speed running yep. hormones and then she goes to Lyernia but like she's still fertile because it's like you know cosmic magic and shit and yeah, yeah. like Radigan is matter. secret you know like he's like okay preceptors I need nine months to myself don't that anyone <laughs> well plus they have an outside <laughs> egg like they're doing intro intro via whatever type crazy <laughs> science babies so like <laughs> none of those rules need to work the same way yeah uh the carrion royal family were all test tube babies done in utero yeah. with a surrogate mother actually they used bone marrow from uh oh. <laughs> there's bones <laughs> all over the game theory confirmed <laughs> uh yeah um who else is trans or gender coded in like a fucky wucky way in Elden Ring? Uh, yeah. So we said Merrick. Okay, Merica, Radagon, Zarias, Raya, Dolores, uh, and then there's a lot of people who say Rani. I haven't been sold on it yet, but like the fact that she doesn't have a body is like very. Um, it's like a classic, uh, more hidden, gay metaphor type thing. Like not I having a body, yeah. Um, but there's I, I, the thing is, just I, nobody's really like put it all together and like truly sold me on it. So yeah, that's like a, a little maybe thumb on the end here. So that's like six, I think. Okay, there might be. Definitely I feel like mentioning. I'm forgetting someone. There's Nephilim and Melania as people that like aren't exactly gender like right. transitioning, but they're very right. much breaking the stereotype of where they exist. Right, and I think, and so that goes into something that I haven't even gotten close to writing. Or no, I am going to write about it. I'm going to be writing about it. Well, sort of. So, there's basically a lot of ladies who are subverting um, older From Software lady tropes in this game. And that's basically what I'm going to write about next. Is like comparing the the older feminine characters to the newer ones in Elden Ring, and how I think they did a good job of updating them, and having them be commentaries on their older iterations. So yeah, um, that'll be fun. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I um, I am excited to see what you come up with. Uh, Thank you. And, like see how the th the thoughts finalize over time. Uh, I think we're like getting to the sort of closing segment of the podcast. We might even yeah. make it a two-parter. Um, would you like to still talk about the Glomide Queen? And if so, is there anything you would like to talk about before we get into that to close off all of your thoughts on gender? Uh, no, I think I, I think I said everything I wanted to say, at least for now. We could probably come back someday once we yeah, have of our... Course. Have our more matured thoughts on gender. Yeah, maybe they'll come out with a DLC where they just have, like, every character is trans. <laughs> every character is a map. You are trans. <laughs> like... They put the coffin switching gender thing in, but, like, it's mandatory yeah. now. <laughs> it's mandatory. You have to hop <laughs> in and to get to the DLC. Yeah, exactly. Every time you go to the DLC, your gender flips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Okay, so let me let me check over my notes because I I made this entire ass thing about America as the Glomide Queen because there's like a there's like confluence of things going on. Do you want mm -hmm. me to just like sort of say it out and you can question me as I go, or do you want to like start with questions? Mm -hmm. How do you wanna How do you wanna do it? 
Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to go. I think you laying it out first will set us up well. Okay, so uh, to begin with, we have Marika, who is like a pretty mysterious character when you read her only off of the lore that's presented directly. Like, she is someone that disappeared from the world at the beginning of the Shattering because she's crucified within the Erdotree as punishment, and like, she's sort of retaining like the lingering parts of the Elden Ring that are still together. Like, the, the stuff you see inside of Radigan is like, is that Radigan's grace? But if grace is the runes of things, then wouldn't it be the lingering parts of the Elden Ring that were forged together? But don't we collect pieces of the Elden Ring that overlap on that? So, like, what the fuck are they? And, like, honestly, like, right. we can't even think about that right now. Because that is, like, a 20-minute discussion that leads nowhere. Because yeah. From Software hates us. Um, like, America, uh, so America is represented mostly through how she relates to other characters, usually women. Like, um... Radarika is a pretty big one. She's someone that travels to the Roundtable Hold, and she's sort of reliant on the main character. And she des she's described as a spirit tuner. And if Marika has any sort of like empathetic values, it's that she tries to help people in a way until that gets fucked up, and the Golden Order is like elitist over time, you know. But like, mm. you know, you can get this idea that she's related to Radarika, and that's sort of reinforced by Hugh. He's like. He's only related to Radarika and Marika, and he compares the two. If you think that when he says that Radarika's eyes remind him of someone, he's talking about Marika. Right. Um, yeah, because Marika's like the only person he knows, basically. Yeah, he doesn't get out much. He's a slave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Like, so when we get into Marika as being echoed with Ronnie, we have this idea of someone that is raised as a foster sibling to an older dynasty of royalty. Like, in the prehistory, it's literally the old dynasty. It doesn't have its name anymore. All of the prehistory has been, like, destroyed. Because, um, like, victory is written... History is written by the victors. The Golden Order won pretty damn hard. And, um... So, like, you can surmise that in Ronnie's ending, she would probably, like, a lot of the Golden Order would be forgotten. But, like, the stuff that leads up to Ronnie's ending is that she enacts this assassination plot against the demigods. And it's when death is, like, unleashed on the land. And if you understand that that is being an echo of Marika, if you want to guess it as such, then Marika's echo is how she does the god hunt. And, like, Mm -hmm. That's sort of, like, the crux of this idea. Like, there's so many things that point to America as being the Glomide Queen, and they point to it separately. Like, they're not cumulative until they start to connect to other outside-of-the-context stuff. Like, in this instance, you have this idea that, like, um, Rani does the Night of the Black Knives, it weakens the Golden Order, then the war breaks out, and at the end of the war, she becomes queen. America uh, as the Glomide Queen would have, like, you know, weakened the old dynasty. And then as war breaks out, she would have had Godfrey take her to becoming queen. Um, and if we sort of, we, we start with dropping that, uh, the similarities you, to Ronnie. Can that, you say that again? Uh, you cut off <laughs> a little bit. Just say the last sentence one more time. Oh, sorry. Um, I think I was just ending with, like, just saying that they were similar quest lines again. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. uh, so like after that we can sort of like consider Marika as like why would she be the Glomide Queen like all we know about the Glomide Queen is that she was an Empyrean so why would Marika be that I mean if we look at it from a metatextual sense Marika as um, being an echo of Nishandra from Dark Souls 2, who was married to Vendrick, who Godfrey echoes, because Vendrick has yep. that idea of going to the tombs out of shame of his like lack of kingship, like his his inability. Godfrey at the end of his reign, he's like, I'm not fit to be king, and he's banished and he accepts it. Yep. And then you have Merica, like Nishandra is a daughter of the Abyss. Her, her flip side is that she has the Dark Soul innate to her. So Merica's flip side would be that she has the Dark Souls equivalent innate to her. And the Dark Souls equivalent is Destined Death, which exists as Death, the shadow right. of the Elden Ring. Like, the Dark Soul is the shadow of the First Flame. It grows as the First Flame diminishes. The Elden Ring doesn't grow... The Destined Death doesn't grow as the Elden Ring dimin diminishes, but, like, 
if destined to death were to be natural to the world, then one day the Elden Ring would, like, die. The world would die, if you, like, think of it as fate. Um, mm-hmm. So America's got that, like, dualism that's reinforced metatextually, but also, like, the entire game of Elden Ring is about dualism. Like, uh, if you look at Yura, who is, like, an NPC, his whole thing is that he's trying to save his lover, Eleonora, from the fate of the Bloody Fingers. So he's the Bloody Finger hunter. He's getting revenge while he looks Mm -hmm. for her. But when you meet him, he's like, don't have compassion for bloody fingers. Like, he's fucking Batman about it. Um, yeah. And, like, he's he's being double-faced. He's actually hurting a lot inside, and he's trying to save one of the bloody fingers who he still feels compassion for, even though she fucking kills him. So, like, dualism. Um, yeah. You know, like, the entirety of Volcano Manor is that you go there and it's like, everything's hunky-dory, but actually the lord is a snake and he eats people. Dualism. Like, you know, it, it's just, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think it affects Marika too, as, like, one of the prime characters of the thing. Uh, reinforcing that the Glomide Queen is named as an Empyrean. That seems to imply that, like, if she's an Empyrean, then which Empyrean is she? Like, unless she's just some unique Empyrean, which is possible, but the fact that they right. reference her as such feels unlikely almost, that, like... Yeah. yeah. It almost never happens in From Software games. Exactly. When you're using, like, a special title like that. And if we set up the timeline of it, like, the Golden Order is built off of two ideas. That Merica is the one true god, and that destined death is sealed. So from the get-go of that, from the get-go of the Erdtree's conception or shortly after, when the Golden Order wins most of their or- wars and becomes, like, the Erdtree becomes the embodiment of order, is how it's called. It's like, Anyone born after that time couldn't kill any gods, and they couldn't get their hands on death. At the very least, not until Rani does, which is why Rani symbolically mirrors the Glomide Queen rather than being her. And then right. when you get to Melina as the possibility of the Glomide Queen, it's more so that you've got, like, Melina's mom was the Glomide Queen, and she knows how Destin to death works, and she's like, hey, when I was a young glass like you, Things were sort of fucked up. Like, there was this whole ass fell god on the mountaintops spewing chaos everywhere. And, like, we needed to stop her. So, like, I killed her. And, um, if you, like, when the shattering thing happens, if your tarnished becomes unfit by getting the blessing of the three fingers, then you have to kill them too. So, like, here's where Dust and Death is. You can get Rani's body, it's on top of the Divine Tower. I've got it figured out for you. Just, like, do it. And, um... I don't know, like, <laughs> that's how I've characterized it in my head. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. Um, and also, I think one thing that people are quick to dismiss is how, when we're at the Churches of America, which are, like, the most holy, cosmically associated with her places, uh, Melina, like, closes her eyes, and when she's quoting her, it seems like she's channeling her, to me. Um, I furthermore, that. yeah. Yeah. So, furthermore, uh, I don't remember which item this is, so I'm praying you remember. There is some item that refers to either Merica or the Glomide Queen. I can't remember which as the Queen in Black. And I can't friggin' remember where it's from. Let me see. Really? If... I'm gonna... I, I don't remember any dialogue like that. That's okay. fascinating. Let me, let me just see in black. No, no, no. No. Do you mean... Do you, are you thinking of the Queen's Black Flame? It might be that. Because, like, uh... God slaying black flame delivered a sweeping slash. Additionally, input of the black flames will continue to wear down HP. No, dang, it might be something that was cut. Honestly, this is like something okay. I heard one time, and I just I've been like thinking about it ever since, and I can't prove to myself whether I dreamt it or not. 
That's <laughs> valid. Sometimes the lines between headcanon and canon become blurred. Yeah, Heresy exactly. Is the contrivance. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, thing... but Glomite being the goddess of the goddess of death, she would be naturally wearing black or purple, right? Like those are the two options, and black and purple are very related, regardless. Um, and I always thought it was pretty weird that Merica wore a completely black dress. Yes, like this, yeah, like Merica wears this black dress. She has the title of Merica the Eternal. Like the only other time we see that name is in the Eternal Cities, and like I haven't, right. I, I haven't confirmed that. I probably should if it's the same Japanese term, but I feel like it is because of how cool this localization is and how keenly a focus on oh no it is i I heard somebody confirm that yeah so like if like merica the eternal it's right in the name that she had some relationship to the eternal cities and like very night associated yes because all of the eternal cities are anti-greater will they want an age of night it's uh like it depends on like the city's like, um, oh, this is actually a fun theory. This is part of it. Okay, so Merica is probably the one that hires Fia. Fia being the, uh, mm-hmm. like, person that's trying to enact Godwin's rise. And if we assume Merica is, like, I don't know how much you're into my theory where Merica killed Godwin to get an early age of Duskborn so she could fix the Elden Ring, quote-unquote, with th- an age of Duskborn. You were, ta- you were talking about that with Acer, right? I think so. I have a little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember that. <laughs> well, uh, I guess it's like if you imagine the continuation of that as like Merica being basically like, well, I can't determine if this will work, and obviously it failed, but I'm gonna try and get him raised again. So she has Fia. Fia is implied to be a night maiden. Like she's from a place far. She's right. from like a foreign land, and Fia's mist is basically the night maiden's mist. Um, in visual details. Yes. And, true. True. Yeah, so, like, there's this idea that Fia's going back to her homeland of the Nameless City, and, like, that's where she's enacting the plot. So, Makes sense. you have this idea that, like, Nakron wants an absolute void of darkness, which is why they forged the ability to kill the finger that kill the two fingers with the Finger Slayer Blade. But they're mm-hmm. so nihilistic that they kill themselves doing it. Like, the Finger Slayer Blade is somehow made from their, like, collective souls or flesh or something, and it's why everyone's dead. The other part of Nakron is that it's called the Sleeping City, which is possibly in reference to Mikola being nearby, but I don't know how much of that is like. Nakron is the Sleeping City? Yeah, Nakron the Sleeping City is how it's called. Mm-hmm. So then you've got Naxol. Not Naxol. I'm getting ahead of myself. You've got Naxtella, which, like, Naxtella yeah. <laughs> wants an Age of Stars. They're associated with Rhea Lucaria. And, okay. um, you know, like, you know, obviously they want an Age of Stars. So if, like, the idea is that Renalo wanted an Age of Stars, she was probably working with them. But then they have this idea where the Dark Moon, the Dark Moon might have represented their alliance with Renala that gets shattered by the stars. Like, it's it's a Zers, well, it's Estelle coming down and he shatters it. I like to mm-hmm. imagine Estelle as being spawned by a Zer glimpsing into the primeval stream. Personally, that because I like... That definitely could be, that could add up, yeah. Yeah, because, like, you can get this idea. I wrote a fanfic about it. It's not finished, because it's, like, supposed to be, like, seven chapters. But, like, the beginning of it's there, where it's, like, Azur and Lusat have, like, they do their, like, Graven magic sorceries at the school for the first time. Which isn't technically the first time in history, because it happened in the prehistory, when the first Primeval Sage saw the Primeval Current. Like, he had to do mm. it. That's why you find the basketball heads up there. Um, I think at the Elbenoric Rise. Uh... I don't know. Um, mm. But, like, there's this, uh, like, Azur and Lusat. Azur, like, my, they, you know, Azur gets arrested. It's why he's found in Gilmir, where, like, the Inquisitor lives and where, the, like, prisoners and dissidents are taken. And then Lusat flees to the wilds, his homeland, Celia. But obviously, the Celians are like, oh, well, let's just throw you in a cave. You'll be okay. Um, You're right. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like, when we finally get to the Nameless City, it was destroyed so long ago that E.G. references Naxtella and Nakran as the twin eternal cities. Like, he doesn't even know that the Nameless City exists. It's defended, yeah. it's got gargoyles there. It was probably so destroyed when, like... trolls. 
Since EG's more of a troll than a giant, or at least he's he's kind of like an in-betweener almost, isn't he? Yeah, he's like, the trolls and the lesser giants are like the same thing. And it's like, they right. existed back when the Golden Order like attacked, because some of them sided with the Golden Order uh, willingly. Oh, right. But like, I imagine EG is like a descendant of one of them, or possibly yep. one because like he knows Renala well enough that Renala's like, hey, do you want to be like the caretaker of my children? <laughs> like he's like, yeah, yeah he's man. been around for a minute. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Yeah, the nameless city. So like, yeah, even though EG's been around for a while, he doesn't know everything, so he doesn't know like the Nameless City's vibe. And something specific to the Nameless City is that it might have been where the Newman lived, since you find a lot of Newman runes there, the most ever. And, like, they've all been eaten by the Scarlet Rot Ants. And the Scarlet Rot Ants are there because the Erda Tree's roots, the Erda Tree itself, is Scarlet Rotted over time. It's like, even mm. though it's immortal, even though Destined Death is bound, Scarlet Rot is coming through because it's, like, inevitable death, even, like... It's the force of death into rebirth being enacted upon an immortal thing by ulcerating it until it becomes mad and just transforms. Like, it's sort of super metal. <laughs> yeah, it is super metal. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, you've got these new men, and like, you can sort of recognize the new men as being linked to America and the Elden Beast and the Elden Ring because they're, def they're around the Elden Stars incantation. And, um,. I guess, like, my entire theory is that Fia is the only one that's in the Nameless City, and what she's trying to do is she's trying to do the one active plot that's still going that can usurp the greater will, like, besides Ronnie herself. And that plot right. is that she wants to take death, and she wants to eclipse the sun with it. And, like, greater will is the sun. It's characterized as such. So for her to eclipse the sun, yeah. it's like, and it's a it's a different type of nighttime, and she does that literally because in the Hallow Brand of the Undeath, that looks like an eclipse, um, which like is some pretty important imagery, Definitely. and uh, essentially that's where I get this idea of calling the nameless city Nock Soul, like N O K, the like prefix Nock, um. All of those prefixes yeah. are shared in Japanese. I checked that with Loki on Twitter, actually. And um, then you've got the idea of soul. So, like, the idea that it will um, specifically block out the sun. It clips oh, it, Oh, it's night sun. Night yeah, sun, literally. night sun, okay. essentially. Gotcha. So, I think that's a very strong theory, to be honest. And I think it's that part of why... Nice. Yeah, like, I think it's part of why Castle Soul is given the importance of the eclipse. Like, Besides yes. possibly implying that Mikola was in on the Night of the Black Knives, I feel like that's like, it wants you to connect these themes of eclipsing the sun between how it's enacted and the place that's talking about it being enacted, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh... I think that's the best explanation of the hollow brand I've heard so far. <laughs> and the eclipse in general. Because well, I was good. just like not sure about that. I think I think my gender theorizing was getting in my way when it comes to the eclipse. Honestly. Oh, what what were you trying to ascribe to it from a gender standpoint? I was just trying to figure out how gender worked into um, Godwin's story in general, and then it just like kept not working. And I was like, is there like hidden gay stuff in here? I, I just thought maybe they were like telling a different story and. Uh, but I, I just don't know. I still don't know, like, what I think about it thematically, but what you're going with it, like, the the, the, um, the novel underneath the details, I like the best. And that could definitely lead us down, like, the correct path to the actual correct themes, because I'm just not 100% sure. <laughs> I would hope so. Um... So what do, you, what do you think are, like, the main themes driving the, the Eclipse? Uh, well, it's, um, out of all of the Dark Souls endings it draws from the most, the usurpation of flame ending from Dark Souls 3 is, like, the most potent. It even shares that, like, sort of pale white light imagery in the Erda Tree as the same thing that the usurpation of flame gets in the sun after it's achieved. Can you, can you give me a synopsis? Because that, that's my biggest sin, is that I never even finished that game. 
Oh, okay. So in Dark Souls three, there's like three major endings. You can link the flame like always. You yep. can achieve an Age of Dark, but this Age of Dark is sort of different because it's not it's not a lord going to the flame and rejecting it, where the lord will still sit upon the throne of wands, and that's characterized as like the lord can embrace their light soul or they can embrace their shadow. But either way, right. it's two aspects of the same being. But what you do in Dark Souls 3 is that you talk to the Firekeeper, and you convince her to snuff out the flame herself. So it's like you give agency back to the Firekeeper, and she chooses to, like, snuff out the flame. And it's sort of like, even in the ending itself, it still sort of gives this stupid cop-out answer where, like, maybe flames will dance across again. And it's like, I mean, like, even yeah, then, uh-huh. did you do anything? Is it Does it mean anything? <laughs> so, um... Yeah. Then you get the usurpation of flame ending, which is like a fan favorite because it's utterly badass in how it portrays the character. Essentially, you've got like, you're just like this ashen undead. You're supposed to be seeking flames. And then there's this woman named Yuria that shows up to you. And she shows up after you've taken the dark sigil, the dark sign, the dark soul, what remains of it inside of yourself. And because like, The Ashen Ones, they don't have the Dark Soul anymore. That's like the big thing about them. They are Ash. They had their Dark Soul withered away from their journeys. They went hollow. They burned. They were used as kindling for the fire. And now the fire has gone back to them. But they can still take the Dark Sigil into themselves. But they're different from a hollow in some sort of key way. Um, So once they sort of emulate the hollow again with the Dark Sigil recontained... Um, Yuria shows up and she's like, well, you could play as the Lord of Landor, which is like, Landor's the new version of Lordran at this point. So she's like, Prithi played the usurper. Um, you, if you do, like, if you go along this path I set out for you, then, like, you can become the lord of your own sort of dark flame rather than being the puppet of the gods. And, um... Yeah, it's it's cool as fuck. You've got like this entire evil church of cultists called the Sable Church of Londor, and they're this shadow government that's taken up in Lordran in the long years since like the fall of Gwyn and everything. And none of that makes sense, sort of, because Irithil's built at the base of uh Anorlando, so Lordran should be nearby, but it's nowhere in game. But like land and time is convoluted, so fuck you. And <laughs> like that's whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh but anyway, it's like along the way you have to do like this heartbreaking thing where there's this hollow called Anri, and like their gender is mirrored against yours, and you get to marry them, quote unquote, because marrying them is uh them getting assassinated. And ruining their really feel-good quest where they go and try and avenge all of their orphan friends who got eaten by a giant slug man. Which is like, (laughs) you can help her do that if you protect her and don't let her get assassinated by this evil woman. But no, most people just like go and assassinate her. And then you take (laughs) her corpse and you stab it in the face so that you can like symbolically marry it and like become married to Hollows. I don't even understand why that's necessary. It's just a thing you do. And it's like, okay, you're ready now. Like, that's what you need. Um. (laughs) You did a good stabbing of a corpse. So on top of that, what you do afterwards is that you do that same Firekeeper ending, which you give her the flames so that she can... um, she can snuff them out. But rather than letting her snuff them out, what you do is it's like a maiden in black moment from Demon Souls. Like she's in this vulnerable moment where she, her back is to you and she's like coaxing the fire. And you walk up and you slap her and she dies. And then you crush her head into the dirt and you take the flame for yourself. So like... Dang! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pr- it's metal, it's evil, like, undoubtedly evil. And, like, Weird. a major theme, in my opinion, that's with it is that, like, if you do it, yeah, it feels good, and it's cathartic, and fuck the first flame, but you're making the same mistake Gwyn did. You're tampering with the fundamental metaphysics of reality, because you think you know better, and you think that your way is the best way, but, yeah. like... I'm sure there's going to be someone that kills you in 3,000 years that's like, oh, what is up with this asshole, you know? Like, yeah, this guy's an idiot. 
And like I feel like that's mirrored in the age of the Duskborn, if we're gonna circle back to um okay. to Elden Ring, because you have this idea that like the Dark Soul is banished from the first flame, Dust and Death is banished from the Elden Ring. That's mm. caused innumerable problems, but we can reincorporate them and maybe it'll be better. Um The Age of Duskborn is very much not better, in my opinion. Like Yeah. The yeah, like, the presence of death Deathrue in the system is, like, it numbs all emotion, and, like, that numbs pain and anger, but, like, those are part of life. Like, giving them up is not, you know, like, that's, like, it's a philosophy that should be represented, but it's fitting that it's the philosophy where you follow Merica. Like, Merica's this nihilistic person that only cares about control, and she achieves mm-hmm. that by, like, flattening out all emotion and life into undeath. Like that's like, what she kind of does with her character too. She's like not a very outwardly affectionate mother. She doesn't like, you know, she just only wants to strike fear in people. And that's about it as far as I can tell, like characterization wise. Yeah. I um I try to write her as like I guess I say, you know, like I'm writing fanfic about her obviously, right. but like um yeah, she's like she's not an outward person. I uh yeah. like not a lot of people have read Dune and even less people have read Dune 4. So it's hard to like use this as a, like a useful illusion, but it's like <laughs> Dune 4 is all about this guy called Leto. He's the god emperor. He literally controls the entire universe. And He's trying to ensure that the universe doesn't destroy itself when he's gone. He's, like, ensuring his golden path, quote-unquote. And, like, Merrick is this person that controls the entire universe. She's the queen goddess, and she's trying to ensure that once she's gone, the universe doesn't destroy itself. So, like, yeah, there's these sort of, like, very poignant similarities in their plots to me. And in both cases, they, in some ways, plot their own deaths. Like, Leto allows things to happen in political dissidents that will make him unsafe and allow himself to be killed to the point where he like has this spy and he's like even if the person you're spying on should order you to kill me then you should do it and it's like you know and then he does like plot point. we'll get right back to spoiling dune 4 after these messages in some recent Soulsborne news cthulhu seeker a composer on youtube who is also on twitter released their latest synthwave cover recently. This time it's of the Living Failures track from Bloodborne. The Bloodborne DLC to be exact. Go give them a watch, it's pretty sweet as always. Another YouTuber, this time a lore tuber named Nate is Cool, released his Dark Souls Trilogy Iceberg video as well, which is a fascinating deep dive across the trilogy. On my personal channel, I've successfully killed Morgoth and all of the demigods before him at rune level 1 in Elden Ring, which has been a fun journey to try if challenge runs are your thing. And finally, Sinclair Lore, another Soulsborne Akiro Ring podcast, has recently released a new episode concerning Armored Core that guest starred Aesir Aesthetics, who was a recent guest with us at the Roundtable Hold. I'd recommend checking them out because I found the episode quite informative. Now, for a word from our sponsors. Do you have a taste for the finer things? Are you a connoisseur of fine delicacies? Come to Friar Rico's Brew Shack in the Landel outskirts, where he's fixing up dream brew like you've never tasted before. Imbued with the dreamy powers of St. Trina, and brewed with a fine grain grown on the Altus Plateau, this aromatic blend will engage your senses and leave you wishing for more. Now, let's skip back to the episode. And remember, skip ahead 40 seconds to escape those Dune spoilers. But yeah, she she basically kills him. That's like she's yeah. like she's like, he ordered me to do this, and her faith is so much that she believes that her shooting him won't kill him, and then it does, <laughs> and she has like yeah. a religious breakdown. And then she gets lasered herself because um, this other guy, Duncan Idaho, has like a complete breakdown because like his lover is like killed in extenuating circumstances, and it's a whole thing. Um, huh. Very dramatic, but like I think in both ways, I think their characterization of emotional states is very similar. Like Leto has 
he doesn't share himself with many people, and when he does talk with people, he's like, he taunts them. He taunts emotions out of them, because that's what interests him, and it's like, America is this person who assumes, like, absolute control over the world. It's like, like, she has so many thoughts, and, like, like, what could you do in the face of, like, the overwhelming tides of history, I feel like? Like, there's some amount of, like, she has control, but she's also controlled by her control, and, like... Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, I don't know. I To me, I always... I like her so much more if she's sympathetic. Like, if she's someone that's, like, on blind faith alone, she tries to forge a new order out of the old dynasty, which is failing from, like, the giants going mad and death roots spreading across the land. So she takes it upon herself to be the vessel of death until she literally can't anymore. And then she, like, gives that up and becomes the queen of the new world. And, like, things are okay, but then the Age of Plenty ends, and it's like, oh, well, shit. And then, like, like her turning into Radigan, even, is something I really like to characterize in my mind. Is like, this moment where the Age of Plenty has ended, and where, like, the Golden Order is not the embodiment of order. It hasn't conquered the lands. It hasn't even conquered Lyrnia yet. But it's, like... It's poised to. It still has the power, but like Merica refuses to do it because why would she? And that's where you get Radigan. Like Ronnie has this really potent disgust at the idea of the fingers controlling her, and I like to think that Radigan is an example of what happens when you refuse them. Like they compel you to act outside of your will, and like Merica like represses that to the point where it molds a new personality out of her yes. body and like that That's is what's totally loyal like you're against the leal hound mm -hmm. <laughs> so um i'm going to jump back a little bit to bring bia back oh okay my dog is barking at me how dare you Shh. wilbur how could you wilbur bad doggy Okay, so you were mentioning Fia and how Fia is like an echo of Merica. Or did you say that? Is, is that I what said I'm she saying? was like a servant of Merica. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, basically, uh, yeah, that that's what I'm saying. So let's let's pretend uh, I'm a dissenter uh, and I don't believe that Merica hired her. Uh, it doesn't really matter because. Um, I think that um, thematically and visually, she is supposed to be a an echo of of America, just like Roderica is. So, like Roderica and Fia would be like two halves of the same echo, basically. And um, you know, Fia's got this all black outfit, and Roderica's got this all white outfit, and Roderica's really pure, and um, Fia's banging everybody in town, right? Uh, <laughs> literally, literally. Yeah, yeah. So if you establish her as an echo, and then you say, "Oh, look, this this chick has Fia's mist, which looks exactly like the Night Maiden mist, except just with a little bit of a little splash of the Death Goddess thrown in," like you have your Glomide Queen right there, right? Yeah, a little bit. And if Roderica is like the sort of Merica side of it, it really it represents that very well. Like Merica right. has the after effect in that Roderica, and then you know there's Ronnie, not Ronnie, but Fia. And then of course, mm. like if you're going off of dualistic um, portrayal portrayals of Merica and subsequent characters, like Melanie and Ron, Melina and Ronnie are very much a mm -hmm. dichotomy. Totally. Um, as much as I would like to keep this conversation going, uh, this is three hours and definitely a two-parter. Um, it yeah. has been amazing to have you on, though. Like, this has been a super good discussion. We should definitely yeah, like do so another much. episode sometime. Is there anything you'd want to like shout out, or like, where can people find you uh, for like your own content? Yes, the best place to find me for sure is on uh, Twitter. My handle is Saint Trina with fours and ones, uh, in place of the A's and the I's. So it's S four one N T T R one and four. Um, that I post whenever I go live on Twitch, which is kind of random, but also uh, very frequent. So I'm I'm streaming like randomly three to four times a week, 
Um, and we'd like to talk lore there. And I do challenge runs as well, like we were talking about. Um, so, yeah, definitely come find me on Twitter. I've got lots of lore for you to dig into there. And I'm going to make a little pin, another pin post. I usually have one up um, that has like a menu, basically, to help you find all the lore you want from my profile. And thank you so much, Gideon. This is just a, a, a wonderful time. It was really nice being here and talking all this stuff with you, and I look forward to coming back. I'm glad to hear it. It was super great. You know, the feeling is mutual. And uh, yeah. definitely, like, if you're a viewer, you will find all of those links below. Um, definitely give those challenge runs a watch. They're pretty cool. Like, the Hudless Fire Giant thing was on YouTube, so I was able to catch the completion kill. And that was yeah. cool. It's very good. Yeah, content. I've been uploading all, all the cool boss kills, so there'll be more to come, too. Okay. Uh, once again, thank you so much, Trina, for joining us at the Roundtable Hold. It truly was a pleasure to talk with you, and I love the content we've covered today. Please make sure to check out her content below and give her YouTube channel a, dis a subscription, as well as the Twitch account. Thank you to everyone that's lis listened today as well. It means a lot to have grown the podcast to the following it's gotten, however small it still is. I respond to all of the comments if you'd like to give some feedback or a recommendation for a future episode. And please, leave a like if you enjoyed what you heard. And thanks for bearing with me as I still get used to editing these episodes. I certainly have a lot to learn within the editing software. Our next episode will have Quayleg, one of the first YouTubers for the Soulsborough series ever, on as a guest star, to talk about her history and mostly about Ormid Core. So stay tuned for next time. And other than that, don't you dare go hollow on us, and have a wonderful day. <laughs>